The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. you, Meg. I invite your attention this morning to uh, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 as we uh, start off back to, and there goes a snow thing. I'm going to leave that be. Uh, uh, all the snow stuff is, uh, it's going to melt away eventually. Amen. As God does. Mark chapter 11, as you find your way there. And we have been in the book of Mark for quite some time now. It's hard to believe. Uh, you were studying in Sunday school this morning. The, the chapters you went through in Sunday school was from January from March 2017 until uh, the end of December 2017. So, uh, if you were in Sunday school and you studied Mark, you know that uh, this book is ripe, full of things that God has given us in His Word. And as we get started, and as you find your way there, I also want to thank uh, Pastor Nelson for preaching last week. Uh, we got to listen to most of it from Psalm 139. Who am I? And so, brother, thank you for bringing the word. Uh, whatever picture was up there scared us as well, Nelson. So. Uh, uh, we're not quite sure what that was, but uh, we saw it a little bit. And I've told this story so many times, but if you go to a church, you don't go on Spring Forward Sundays. We tried that last week in Oklahoma. The church we showed up at canceled their service so people could sleep. So uh, we were the only ones there at 815 with the deacon. And praise God for it. They were super nice, but uh, it's good to be back home. It's good to be back home. So thank you so much. It's been a, a tough week for many of us and, a, and a, a, a busy week, but praise God we're here together. Well, you've heard that story, haven't you, about the counseling center who had a hotline uh, that had people calling them like this, and it had the following voice message, and you maybe have heard something like this. It said, thank you for calling. If you're obsessive-compulsive, please press 1 repeatedly. If you're codependent, please ask someone to press 2 for you. If you have multiple personalities, press 3, 4, 5, and 6. If you're paranoid delusional, remember that we know who you are and we're watching you all the time. If you're schizophrenic, listen carefully and a little voice will tell you which number to press. Hold on. If you're manic depressant, it really doesn't matter which number you press. It doesn't really matter. No one's going to answer you anyway. Have a good day. I hope your counselor doesn't do that to you, but if they do, run away quickly. Amen. God is good. So, but that really is a big thing. Mental illness is a serious thing, and I don't want to make light of that. But it really, there's a question that came as I pulled up that silly illustration is, whom do we trust? I mean, if you look at our coins, it says, in God, do we trust or we trust? But if you're a Muslim, you put your faith in the Quran and Muhammad. If you're a Buddhist, you put so in graven images. If you're a humanist, you put trust in yourself. If you're a religious person, you put that in your works. And if you're a materialist, you put it in your wealth. But there's only one true spiritual faith that will ever carry us through everything, and that is having faith in God. But let's be careful, shouldn't we? Because James 2.19 tells us, you have faith in God? Great! Even those demons over there have faith, and they fear Him. But Jesus, as He approaches here in Mark 11, the, the Holy Week, and we're on Tuesday of Holy Week, by the way, and we'll be here for several months because there's so much here. He, Jesus had a lot to say about faith. To the sinful woman who wiped her, her, her hair with perfume and, and Jesus' feet, He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And you'll see that up on the screen. To the woman with the hemorrhage, He said, daughter, 
your faith has made you well. Go in peace. To the ten lepers and the one leper who came back, he said, your faith has made you well. To the blind man on the side of the road, he said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Again and again and again, Jesus drives home the primacy of faith. Without faith, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without faith, there is no peace with God or the peace of God because it all goes back to having faith in him. And what a thing to say by Jesus because he's entering what is ironically and, and, and as you would know it to be the most difficult time of his life. He's headed to the cross. He's just come out of a time where he's cleansed the temple and he's coming out of a time where the temple was full of people. The Psalms were being read. The law was being read. Prayers were being offered. Ties were being brought. Things were being done in the name of God. And by all outward appearances, religion was thriving. Business was good. But as the Lord Jesus said some years ago, or as the Father said some years ago to Samuel, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the inward parts, doesn't he? And the faith that these Jewish people had was not a faith that came to please God. It was a faith that came to please and often line their very pocketbooks. So every person has faith. Even the atheist has faith. That's why Psalm 14 says that you say there's no God, they call you a what? They call you a fool. Because everyone has faith in something. KU fans, you had faith in your basketball team to win the regular season for the 15th time. How'd that work out for you? Royals fans, well, we'll just keep going. You have faith in something, don't you? You have faith in something. And faith tells you something. What do you have faith in? The question is, do you have faith in this God that we're going to talk about, the one who's been revealed? Because he's good in every way, and we need to have faith. And we'll define what that is. But as the big idea says today, it's better to have small faith in a great God than to have great faith in a small God. And there is a difference there. The difference is, is how you see yourself in light of who God is. And that's where Jesus is going to bring us. Because, look, we all need a living faith. Not only do we need to do it because we, that's what God says, but we need it because of the culture in which we live. You coming to church today is more countercultural than wearing the latest Christian T-shirt you bought from Lifeway for $5.99 on the clearance rack. The greatest thing you can do is to be a man or a woman of faith who knows and trusts in the Lord and leans on Him, not because of your own understanding, but because of His. Have faith in God. And Jesus is going to show us two things about this. And i be honest with you, I think we're barely going to make it to number two, but I especially want to get to number one. Two aspects of true faith today. What does true faith look like? Jesus tells us very clearly in the passage we're going to read. But He says, you would have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You would have faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you and who loved you and died for you, Galatians 2.20. And you're to practice forgiveness like Jesus. How many people say they have faith in God but are unwilling to forgive someone in the church that sits right next to him every Sunday? And what a word for us as we gather as at the end of service to partake of the Lord's Supper together, that God will not even hear your prayers if you do not forgive the person next to you. That's a deep and that preaches, for sure. If you're able to stand this morning, would you join me in standing for God's Word? And it's good to be back. It is hard to believe. It's been three weeks since we've had a, uh, I've preached a sermon from up here between vacations, uh, snow days, and life. Here we are. It's good to see you. You look good. You look great. God's Word looks better, but you look good too. Amen? As we get ready to read God's Word together. Five 
And I just want to make a note before we get started. Some of you will say, well, Darren, your, your, your verses go to verse 26. Uh, I will say some of your scriptures are not going to have verse 26. Some will. The best manuscripts we do have have verse 26, and I will read that as part of this, and I'll make note of that later in more explanation. God's word is still perfect. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's infallible. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Mark 11:20. As they passed by in the morning, remember this is Tuesday morning of Holy Week, they saw the fig tree withered to its roots. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And verse 22, Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. Truly I say to whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father may, who's in heaven may forgive your trespasses as well. In verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who's in heaven forgive your trespasses. Today, Jesus is going to start a whole litany of sermons. Tuesday of Holy Week was the busiest day for him outside the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we are going to be camping out here, I mean, to be honest with you, probably until the late summer because the next three chapters are chocked full of the sermons Jesus gave on this one day alone. Will you join me in prayer as we talk about two aspects of having faith in God. Father God, we thank you so much that we have the ability to have faith. Father, we are dead in our sin. We are debtors to our sin. There's nothing good that resides in us, but we thank you at just the right time, but God gave us the faith and the gift of faith that we cannot boast in it ourselves, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But Father, as we look at what it means to have faith, may that this not be faith in faith. May this not be faith in an institution. May this not be faith in a preacher or a ministry. May this not be faith in anything other than you, the living God who loves us so much. Father, we are so grateful for your love, how much we know that apart from it, we are who we are and that is lost without you. Thank you for the beauty of Christ. We love you so much, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come to verse 20 this morning, I first, as I've mentioned, I want you to see that God calls us here to place our faith in Christ, place our faith in Christ. And you'll notice there at the very first, it says in verse 20, they passed by in the morning. Now, again, this is the final Tuesday of Jesus' life, the final Tuesday, and it's a day that will be full and demanding, and they're passing, as you may recall from previous sermons, from Bethany to the Mount of Olives and to Jerusalem. It's about a two-mile trek they're walking. Uh, that's about 5,000 steps if you're into that sort of thing, and their, their Fitbit's going off. But Luke says that they were there early in the morning, so they get an early start, probably around 5 a.m., and Tuesday will go from, from this chapter 11, verse 20, all the way to the end of chapter 13. It's a long time. And these are just the events that are coming. Let me just give you a snippet. They are going to go into the temple and teach. Jesus is going to give a parable about the marriage feast. Oh, and wouldn't you know we planned this one perfectly? In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about taxes. Amen. And then he's going to talk about the resurrection. He's going to talk about the greatest commandment. He's going to warn them about the scribes and the Pharisees. He's going to receive outsiders and pray with them. 
He's going to give the Olivet Discourse. He's going to talk about a servant, ten virgins, a parable of the talents, the sheep and the goats. And it still goes on from there. Are you tired yet? That's on Tuesday of Jesus' last week. But before he gets there, it says they saw a tree withering from the root up. Or, or your Bible may say they saw the, the tree withering away to its roots. If you recall, this was the tree back in chapter 11, verse 12. And I'll just read this quickly. But it says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, they saw a fig tree. And it, they went to find anything on it. But when Jesus came to it, he found nothing on it. And he basically told it, verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And we talked about that a few weeks back, about how Jesus was prophesying that as a way to show what Israel was really like. But now within 24 hours, that was on Monday, he cursed the tree. Now it's dead to the root. And your, your, your Home Depot Lowe's products can't even do that that quick, guys. It's gone. But it's symbolic of the generation that is here. The fig tree is in the nation of Israel, and, and she looks so healthy on the outside, but really down to the root, there was nothing there. There was nothing at all. In fact, it was nothingness. And Peter says to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree has withered. This is Peter. He states the obvious all the time, doesn't he? But he does so, and Jesus is going to teach him through that. Just like the water to the wine in a matter of seconds in John 2, a process that normally took months, the miracle of Christ, when Jesus did it, it was immediately, it was instantly. And it's a clear lesson for us. And I'm going to go on a little side note here, keeping to the text, but I want to speak to this, of how swift and severe the judgment of God is, is when it falls. It falls heavy. And when the judgment of God falls, He often gives us times of grace. I mean, guys, if we're honest with ourselves, if you look around the, the world today and you see everything that's happened, and I, I know there's shootings and things that happen all the time, but uh, this past Friday down in New Zealand, we heard the story of, uh, of, of many Muslims losing their lives in a peaceful city otherwise, just, just praying. I pray you're praying for them. I pray you don't hate the Muslim people, that, that God reminds us that we are to love for our enemies and pray for them, don't you? Pray they come to Christ. Pray God raises up a Paul, a Silas out of that group. Pray for peace for them. But there is an end at times to God's patience. And what Jesus is showing here and what he's drawing for us is that Israel has crossed the line with him. There's a point of no return. That even in the cursing of the tree, God is still giving them a chance, but there's no return. The patience has been there for hundreds of years. And when Jesus sent the apostles to preach, he gave the gospel to them again and again and again and again. And the Jews said, we want nothing of it. Go away. We're okay. So how do you reconcile all this? God has great patience, but there's a line that has not been crossed. There's a line that's been crossed with no return. Well, when Peter sees this tree and he tells him in verse 22, have faith in God, he's telling Peter, look, you may not understand why this tree died off, but I, don't, I see things as, as Jesus that you don't see Peter as Peter. You have to trust that what I'm doing is exactly right. And in 70 AD, the entire nation would be dispersed some 30, 35 years after Jesus' death to be off forever and never regain status till 1948, which isn't really the same nation even of that point. But friends, it speaks to the grace of Christ within us. And number one, you will see this. Look, guys. The Word of God is changing, or America is changing, but the Word of God is not. I want you to know that. We are getting to ready to ramp up, and I am dreading it as much as you are. I'm, turn off your TV, silence your phone, 
just put blinders on for the next year and a half, right, until November of 2020. I don't care who gets in the White House. The Word of God doesn't change. Do you understand that? We need to vote well, and we need to do those things. We need to pray about that. You need to be responsible with that. But, friends, it doesn't matter who gets in whatever seat. It's not going to ch- We cannot legislate morality. This world changes when Christians take simply the very things God says to take seriously, seriously. That's how change comes about. God working through his people. Even in these days, God is full of grace and truth. I mean, think about it. Even four years ago, when you all called me as your pastor, in this nation, there was one marriage definition between one man and one woman. And in June of 2015, that all changed. But the Word of God has not. So what does this mean? Does this mean that, and, and I, I told you I want to take a side note of this, because this question, many of you have asked this question to me. I was talking to uh, our brother uh, this morning about this, and, and, and the question is, will America be judged? Well, I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet or the grandson of a prophet or the cousin or the third once removed. I'm just simply a guy. But what we know is that the gospel of Jesus is precious, that it offers joyful rescue. The Bible says that the fury of the wrath of God is a real thing, Revelation 19.15. And the Bible exults that Jesus has delivered us from all sin. But what we know about judgment is this, and I'll send this out over email. But in judgment, God hands over the unrepentant to, un- to harden their hearts. That in all the judgments of all the nations, God always started with a hard-hearted group of people before he brought the sword down. Always. Second thing we know is that God punishes nations in history. And I won't read all these references. They're up there for you. But what we know is that God does not have a favored nation, folks. He has a favored people. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, then you are part of that group. Praise God. It is not America that is special. It's not Brazil. It's not even my kind of secondary home country, if I could have one, Iceland, because I just think it's a pretty country. It's a people. God has preserved for himself a people. But even in that people, over time, God has brought them before his throne of judgment. And there will be a final judgment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, with all, we're so glad you're here. But there is coming a judgment day that God will separate those who know him from those who don't. That is going to happen. We need to preach about that more. We need to live in light of that more. Because, it says in Romans 2.5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But Christian... Aren't you grateful for this one, Amy? You can go on to number number four that says number one. But the death of Jesus was God's final judgment on all who believe in Christ. Amen? The judgment that you deserve was snuffed out in Jesus. And when he looks at this fig tree and he says, it's, it, have faith in God, he's telling them a little bit about the cross to come. Because you're going to look at this fig tree, Peter, and you're going to see this, and you're going to wonder, why did that happen? And then you're going to look at all these lost people who deserve death and judgment and hell, and you're going to remember, Peter, that it was me who snuffed that out for you, who extinguished it for you. But Christian, because your eternal state has been settled, that does not mean that God is not disciplined you. Look, I don't know about you. My parents, God love them. 
I'm still their son, but there were days and there were times where they sent me to my room and smacked my little bottom. Amen? And they still do that. No, they don't. I was just seeing if you're awake. But in all seriousness, Christian, there are times that you are judged in life for disciplinary reasons. Hebrews 12 tells us that he, God does that because you're a legitimate son or daughter of God. If God does not bring discipline in your life for your sin, you should question whether or not you know Jesus Christ. So will America be judged? It's a great question. Let's ask another question before we answer that one. Does God still judge today? That'll be the next one, Amy, if you can put that up. Look, God is sovereign over all nations for his purposes. Let us remember that God used wicked nations to bring his people back to himself. Nebuchadnezzar, he used uh, the, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, you name it. God has done it. The Romans even. But one thing we know is God still is sovereign in all his purposes, even to the point where he calls those people who are not of his people his servants. And the Bible also says that God will tolerate sin up to a point, and then the judgment comes. That's what we know from Scripture. This happened in the life of Abraham. In, in Genesis 15, God would bring judgment on the nation they serve. God prophesied in Genesis 15 that the nation of Israel would spend 400 years in captivity, and then God would bring down the hammer of judgment. And we see that in the book of Exodus. In other words, there's a level of corruption that will be reached before God brings down the law. But I also want you to know that God does this on certain sins he hates. He hates arrogant hearts. He hates idolatry. He hates bribery. He hates extortion. And this is not a statement of some social justice warrior-leaning weird kind of thing that's going on today. This is biblical. God judges for oppression of the poor. Can we take this a little step further? Pastor, will America be judged? Let's look at Le Leviticus 18. You don't have to go there, but I just want to break this down for you. This is what the Bible says. God gave them levels of sin that, that he said that if these things were coming, this would happen. And it's remarkable to see what Leviticus says with what is happening today in America. God told them in Leviticus 18.20 that adultery would be something that he judges. You shall not lie with your neighbor's life. That, that child sacrifice, they have to say this. But abortion, we have over 50 million babies that have not lived to see their mom and their dad. Look, if, you, if, you, if you're here today and you've had an abortion, God forgives. But if you are considering that, you know someone who's considering that, we have people here who would embrace that baby, take it on and raise it up. And if you don't have the money to do that, man, we can pool it together because that life is precious. That's not a Republican Party thing. That's not a conservative thing. That is a God thing, guys. God loves life. He loves the old. He loves the young. He even loves those middle-aged guys that sometimes don't even know what to do with their lives. He loves life. But he said in Leviticus that there would come a time of judgment when child sacrifice, when they were offering him to Molech. Look, number three, that, that when relations between two consenting parties were done outside of one man and one woman, he said that judgment would come. If you know someone, can I say this? If you know someone who is homosexual, who identifies as gay, lesbian, transgender, run the list of things, friends, you love them well. You love them. You share Christ with them. You, you, don't, you don't do anything, but you, 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 you really embrace them for, for what God has made them to be. They're in, he's an image bearer. She's an image bearer. But friend, at some point, 
some point, they're going to ask that question. So what do you think about my lifestyle? Are you willing? Are you able? Are you, are you humbly ready to have that conversation? You better be prayed up for that. But friends, it is a sin. There's no doubt about it. There's no way to, there's no way to read history into it. It is a sin. And finally, and, th- and this is crazy, I'm not going to get into the details of this, bestiality, there are reports from Huffington Post, I've researched this in the last several years, but this has happened in America. It's, it's gross. What does all this mean? Will America be judged like Israel was judged? Friend, have faith in God. I don't know. But one thing I do know is this, is that the more that the culture tightens and the more things that used to be not okay become okay and the things that people call darkness, that we call darkness, become quote-unquote light for some. Friends, the more that happens, the more we need to be on guard. You want to witness for Jesus? Have faith in God. Have faith that you may not know if America will be what it is. Look, we're not trying to get America back to anything great except this, and this is true for any nation, that we follow Christ wherever he calls us to go. And Christian, that is not wrapped up in politics. That is not wrapped up in anything else except following what God has told you in the Bible. That is what having faith in God is about. This is why I will never endorse a candidate from the pulpit for you. Neither should you endorse that for a lot of people. We can have those debates and lots of things, but having faith in God, trust that, God, I don't know what is the future of this nation. God, I don't know what's ahead for my children. Lord, should I even have children? Because do I want to bring them into this world the way it is? Those are great big questions, but Lord, I have faith in you. Just as Peter had to have faith in Christ when he looked at that fig tree and said, Jesus, (laughs) what happened to this thing? Have faith in God. So what does this mean for us? And Amy will put this up on the screen. What this means for you is that only a true gospel preached and demonstrated by God's people can overcome the moral corruption in our society. Study it. Know what you believe, Christian. Know what's expected of you as a Christian by God. Pray and live it out. That's what we know. You want to see this nation changed and let the change be you before a holy God on your knees asking him to radically change you so you live out something so miraculous that God himself could only be the author behind it. That's what change looks like. This is not Gandhi, go be the change you want to see in the world. That's secular philosophy. The change is, God, I'm a sinner. I sin. I live among people who sin. But, Lord, I want to be like Daniel, that when they come and knock on my door and say, you're praying way too much, you're sharing Jesus way too much, I say, take me. For me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain, I don't care. It's all for you. History's not a straight line of inevitabilities, if I can get that word out. God himself may step in and bring the church a great revival of radical obedience. He's able, he's done it before on our very shores, but friend, I don't know what the future of the country holds, but I know for your family, for my family, for our church, the closer we tether to Christ, the better we're always going to be. And can you imagine what this must have felt like for Peter, who a day before was confused with why Jesus would get mad at a fig tree How much this must have confused him. And Jesus told him one simple phrase, have faith in God. Let me be very clear. I am not against politics. I'm not against you watching political things or having political conversations. Those have their rightful place. 
But church, we, ha- we live in a day and an age where we have to ask our questions. Do we trust that some elected official is going to carry the church through? Or do we trust that the gates of hell will never prevail against God because Christ himself said that very thing? And there is a balance there, but the greater of the two is, is that Christ is Lord and Lord indeed. I hope that makes sense. Now, you can go home and turn off all your politics for the next year because you already figured it out, right? Got it all ready to go. He goes on. You notice in verse 22, and I told you we might not get through this today, and that's okay. I'll send you the notes. But I feel, especially in study, that needed to be said for myself. Friends, no individual Christian should fear God's judgment. Praise God that has been finished. But may we pray for our nation as well. Look at verse 22. He says, have faith in God. He answered them, have faith in God. And that's where he goes in. And I want to look at this for just saying this phrase. And Amy's going to put this up on the screen. And we'll probably end here because this will take a moment. He tells them to have faith. So what is faith? I mean, really, uh, I've shared this before, but Indiana Jones, I love that guy. Could never be him with the whip and the hat and the whole thing. But there's a scene from that movie, if you remember The Last Crusade, uh, from 1988. That dates a lot of you in this room, including myself. But it says, uh, Indiana Jones is coming to the end. He's trying to get the, the holy water. Do you remember the story? He's trying to get the holy water to put on Sean Connery, his father's wound, because he's going to die, but he's got to cross a bridge. And he looks out, and he kind of does what's called the leap of faith. You remember this? And he steps out, and he steps on a solid rock. That's not faith. That's Hollywood. Faith is not just trusting some blind thing. Look, did you do this when you met Jesus? Jesus, I'm not sure you're really the one, but just in case, I'm going to step out there. You don't do that. You don't do that when you drive, I hope. You don't do that when you, you, don't do that when you mow your lawn. You don't do that in a lot of things when you're cutting things up. When you're drilling things in, you don't go, whoa, I hope this works out. That's just stupid. Don't do that. Faith is not faith in faith. People will tell you, have faith in God. Have faith. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you have faith in faith either. It doesn't mean that you say, I have faith and I trust my ability to do something. Having faith in God is having faith that God is who he says he is. That when God says he'll never leave you nor forsake you, he actually means that. When he tells you that you won't be taken away for eternity because of his son's work for you, he's actually going to fulfill that. And this faith that Jesus talks about was missing in Israel. They were, it, they were on the outside like that fig tree was. It was green. It's like the trees coming up now. It was green, but on the inside it was terrible. There was a tree perishing because the root of the system was bad. And friends, if we're to be more than green leaves of religious experience, we must have authentic faith in God. And here's at least five ways I want to give this to you. First off, there's an imperative of faith. There's an imperative of faith. You must have faith. You will have faith in something. It's a divine command, not a suggestion. Your order from headquarters is to have faith. The question is, into whom and to what will that be? The one who doesn't have faith in God is in a state of disobedience to God. And there's an object of faith. It's in God. It's not just in something. The TV preachers will tell you, have faith that God will do this. Usually you're having faith that what you gave them is going to multiply ten times back to you and you'll become a millionaire. That's called faith in faith. Faith in God means that you know his character is consistent, that he is who he says he is. Such a big difference. Look, you can, 
I've told you before, you can trust me for things. I will disappoint you a lot as your pastor, as you will me as church member. Amen? But at the same time, we don't trust in each other. We trust not in princes or chariots or horses, but we trust, as the Bible says, in the name of the Lord our God. God is the only one who, after four years, doesn't get impeached. He doesn't get voted out. He doesn't have to run against another candidate. God's government is what it is. And when he says have faith in God, he's not talking about a changing institution. He's talking about the very word that founded the foundation of the world. Have faith in God. Thirdly, there's exclusivity of faith. This isn't faith in in Buddha. This isn't faith in, in Joseph Smith or Mary Eddie Baker. This is faith in God himself. Not the God of the 12 steps that's just a nebulous God. Not the God that is, that, that, that is some, you know, you say the name of God. Oh, great, you, you, let's pray to God. The God of the Scriptures. The God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we sang about, we believe in. The God who's coming again, who died for us. You have an exclusive faith. This God is not, we don't worship the same God as the Muslims. We don't worship the same God as as. as anyone else. Guys, we worship the God of the Scriptures who's forever the same. Fourthly, there's a responsibility. You have to have faith. Kids, teenagers in here, someday you've got to get out under mom and dad's faith. You've got to own your faith. You can't be saved because mom and dad are Christians. If you're a grown adult and you're still hanging on to your dad or your mom's faith, you cannot be saved because your dad and mom are Christians. My kids love them to death, aren't saved because Pastor Darren is a pastor. Wouldn't that be nice? We'd all sign up to be pastors, wouldn't we? It's not how that works. There is a responsibility that you must have faith. If you're not a Christian here today, you are called to turn to Jesus and have faith in Him alone. That's what you're called to do. But finally, there's an urgency. There is an urgency. Not tomorrow, not five minutes from now, not the next uh, 25 years when the Royals win their 30, every 30 years World Series kind of thing. But now, have faith. This is why, Christian, when you're talking to someone about Jesus, there's a time and a place where you may need to say, okay, be glad to meet with you next week. You know, let's set up a time, we'll come up again. But most times when you meet with someone, it's, what are you waiting on? You could die today. You, the, the, the time is now. What are you waiting on? Have faith in God. Guys, having faith in God is really that mind-blowing. Sometimes we, as Christians, I think, get in these bubbles to think that we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to upset anybody. Uh, Brother and I were talking this morning about a Twitter conversation he's having uh, about a guy who, uh, who's an atheist said, I just, I don't have faith. Well, yeah, you do. You're trusting in yourself, man. Friends, you have an exclusive faith. It's going to rub people the wrong way. It's going to bless people the right way. And sometimes along the way, it's going to test you in more ways than you'll ever know. Have faith in God. So what does this mean? Jesus tells us, and I'm going to end with this. I don't have time to finish because of the the little side note. But Jesus tells us in verse 23 what that looks like. Look back at verse 23, will you? We'll close with this. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass it will be done what is he saying jesus is telling them that faith is something that is not based on empty 
religion. Church, let it be said very clearly, you can come here every day it's open and, and be here every time we have an event that does not make you more of a Christian than a car parked uh, in a garage makes it a garage. It's a car, and it will be, remain a car. A good fr- root has good fruit. A rotten root has rotten fruit. Annie Barnes, I don't know if you're here. I think you are. Annie, I thought about you and your green thumb when I wrote that down because you do this gardening thing all the time. But when he says to you, truly or verily, verily, I say to you, there are times when Jesus emphasizes more things. Jesus' words are always God's words, but whoever has faith, whoever has a proper root and says to this mountain, be taken up. I want you to picture this. He's behind the Mount of Olives, so there's a big mountain behind him. There's There's a visual picture going on. But he says, it'll be thrown into the sea, the Dead Sea. But I want to be very careful. Never has there been a time when a physical mountain has been moved in this sense. Jesus is speaking figuratively that you use in your everyday life. You do this all the time, don't you? You say things like, uh, uh, golly, I can't think of any offhand, and the ones I have aren't sufficient. But you say this all the time. I love you more than to the moon and back. Well, have you been to the moon and back? There's only three, I think, if you don't believe the conspiracy theories, there's only three that's happened to. It's hyperbole. It's an intentional exaggeration that's intended to underscore and establish the point. You're overstating what it says. The mountain here is prayer. The mountain is prayer. You you bring a matter before God, and in your hands, it's humanly impossible. In your hands, you can do nothing with it, so you pray and you take it up to God. And to speak, to, to speak to the mountain is to pray to God in faith. And when that mountain is moved, there's divine intervention. And he says, don't doubt in your heart. He, he's basically saying, whoever's rooted and grounded in me, whoever has true faith, not like this fig tree, whoever is truly of me will have no lack of confidence because when he believes what I said, it will be granted to him. That is the kind of faith that was in contrast to the show that was going on every Sabbath day at the temple. Israel prayed with unbelief, and and they prayed and prayed, but faith alone in Christ is always the path, guys. And Israel was all talk and no reality. They had all green leaves but no fruit. They had all public prayer but no faith in God. And Jesus is saying that true faith in God that lies beneath down the heart makes all the difference and connects the heart and soul with the throne of grace in heaven. To broaden it out a bit, he's saying, look, if you're going to be my disciple, then you have to place your trust in me alone. And that's it. Not in your works, not in your indulgences, not in your 10,000 Hail Marys, not in your 20,000 candles, not in your prayer walks, Buddhists, not in your, uh, not in the things of, uh, of the Quran. You are trusting in me alone or you're not having faith in God. That's what he's saying. Or church, he's saying don't trust your methods more than the maker. Mom and dad, don't trust your ability to force your kids into doing things and make them a Christian than letting my spirit move upon their hearts to come to know me as a Christian. Broaden this application out several ways. But the point is, at the end of the day, do you trust God to do the work? Or are you trusting, yeah, we trust God, but, but, but no, we got to go do this stuff. I mean, some of y'all are like that, right? When you work on those group projects at work or home or school, you're the one who always does all the work. 
you say they did the work on the review sheets, but you're like, yeah, they did 10 out of 10 work, but really you're the one in the background doing all the work. That's not how faith works. Jesus says that either it, I'm able, I'm enough, I can save you, I got this, or you're no better than Israel in some parts. So, Darren, you're saying that if I pray about something that I really want and I think God's blessed it, that he'll give it to me, perhaps. Seek the Lord and, and, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? We should pray boldly. We should pray mightily. Pray for the heavens. Pray for these neighborhoods to come to Christ. Pray for that person in your life who's stone cold in their heart towards Jesus. Pray and pray and pray. We have not because we ask not. Seek and you will be found. You pray all these things. Pray continually. Pray like the widow who kept beating on the ruler's door. And, and, and finally, she, the ruler said, Luke 18, take it. It's yours. Jesus said, that's prayer. Pray big. But don't pray in a way that you hold a little bit in your heart to say, God, I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up to you because I have to manipulate this person, this circumstance, this way in order to get what I really want. Be careful. Have faith in God. And he tells you the last verses, and we read these, and I'm going to close with this. If as you pray, you pray as one who is not forgiving, then you can really only pray half the Lord's Prayer, can't you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've got to stop right there. Because if you're not willing to pray, Lord, forgive us this day of those who've sinned against us, then you've lost it. You can have a greater unbelief than some atheist Christians if you're not willing to forgive the very people in the church that you have among the ranks. That's not just a pastoral platitude, that's real life. Hashtag real life. That's real talk. Have faith in God. Do you have faith in God that as you pray that the person who's hurt you or the group that's hurt you is able to be forgiven? Do you want them to be forgiven? Do you want God to move in your life, in your church, in your family? Then take this seriously. Have faith in God. He's able. He's sufficient. He is willing to answer. Will you pray with me as we close this morning? Father God, as we come together, half the sermon done, that's okay. We thank you so much that our faith is one that is not easily shaken. Father, because your Son is, is the eternal God. And Father, we thank you that you're able to do above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. Father, as we come before you, we want to make sure that we have you as our, our trust, not anything else. Lord, and help us to do that. Forgive us this week when we have tried to, to, to do things in people's lives or, or in our own life, Lord, that, that you would, told us to wait on. Lord, let us not be like Saul uh, and, and jump ahead of you, but let us be like Samuel who waited for you. As we heard from Psalm 130, my soul waits for you. Lord, let it be for you. Father, we would rather have a small faith in a great God than a big faith in a small God because, Father, we are nothing. You are everything. Let it be for you. Father, as we come before and sing our last song before we take the Lord's Supper, would you search our hearts? Would you search out sin? Would you show us those things we need to know? And thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you gave your Son. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us in standing as we have